Simeon saw? Luke 2, 25 through 35. Luke 2, 25 through 35. While you're finding that, let's review where we are in our story. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Now, we're taking it slightly out of order so that we can do the, the song of the angels on, on um, Christmas Eve. So we're, we're bumping it slightly out of order. But here's where we are in our story thus far. You know the story, but we'll just look at it from the, from the standpoint of Luke. Mary and Joseph are a godly couple who've now entered into a formal legally binding marriage contract. They're living their separate lives. They're not living together yet. They're living their separate lives in a little town called Nazareth in the northern part of Israel called Galilee, and they're waiting to get married. During that time frame, the angel Gabriel visits Mary personally to tell her that she, a virgin, will conceive supernaturally. She will supernaturally conceive God's son. Fast forward a little bit. Afterward, now Mary goes down a couple of days' journey to the the southern or more southernmost part of Israel, to Judah or Judea, and she visits her relative Elizabeth. And we talked about that last week. And she she stayed there right until just about the time that John the Baptist is going to be born, and then she heads back home to Nazareth. Next, we find them married, and they're in Judea. They're giving birth to a baby in a stable or perhaps a cave that acted as a stable in the city of David called Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem back in Judah or Judea. Because the reason they're there is because of an empire-wide decree from the Roman emperor that's overseen by the Syrian governor. They're now visited by shepherds, and these shepherds, as you know, have just encountered angels. Now, um, the shepherds were working, you can think of them as working class, perennially, ritually unclean dudes. So they're working class, because of what they do, they're normally unclean ritually. They're tough guys, and they're engaged in the profession that, according to who you read, some people would say, well, it's a, it's a, it's a good biblical profession. I mean, David was a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But in the currency then, some people would say that shepherds were low on the totem pole of witness list, folks. Um, they were not the most reliable witnesses, and God chose them to be a primary source of witnessing to the Savior's birth. Now, regardless if they were or they weren't, they'd seen the angels, and they'd believed what the angels proclaimed to them, and they're now there at at the manger to see for themselves, and they proceed then to tell others after the fact. This little baby boy now, fast forward seven days to the eighth day, He's circumcised on the eighth day because the parents are following the law of Moses. They are good, orthodox, devout Jews. And they really do love God. As we learned in Romans, there was the true remnant within ethnic Judaism. And they are a good representation of that. So per Genesis and Leviticus, they are circumcising this baby boy. And they're going to give him the name. You can hear the echo of John now, John the Baptist naming. They're going to give him the name that Mary was told by Gabriel to give the boy. Jesus, meaning the Lord saves. That's his name, the Lord saves. Now fast forward a little over a month. And we find them now going up to Jerusalem. They always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a hill. So you have to go up to Jerusalem to fulfill all the purification requirements of Leviticus. 
And because they're not well-to-do, they offer either two turtle doves, we don't know, or two pigeons instead of a lamb. Now, in today's economy, two turtle doves um, are about 80 bucks. A lamb is a whole lot more. So they're a working class, perhaps even poor couple, and they're having to do that. And the Lord, the law allowed them to take either the, the working class or poor, or if you're more wealthy, the lamb. So we know that they're the latter. Now, per Exodus and Numbers, they also have some more things to do. They're going to present their firstborn son to the Lord, and they're going to pay his redemption price, five shekels, about an ounce and a half of silver, which today's prices is roughly 24, 25 bucks. So they've fulfilled all the law, and they've done it at the temple. Now, of course, this isn't Solomon's temple. This is the second temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed by, by the Babylonians, but this one was built, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be go, going through the book of Ezra soon, and it's built during that time. So in their day, just backwards, about 500 years before Christ is when this temple was built. But about 20 years before Christ, Herod the Great had expanded and renovated much of the temple area. Now, it's funny because Herod the Great was a client king. He was a a, a Roman client king. He wasn't even a Jew, a full Jew. And we've got to see how God's working through pagan and Jewish alike. No matter what the plans of man are, God overrules these plans and performs his deeds. Mary and Joseph were just busy. They don't know what's going on. I mean, they've experienced a lot, needless to say, but they're just busy going about their business. They're being obedient to God by following the Mosaic law. And then they supernaturally just happen to run in. They're just going to the temple to do what God has required them to do. And they're doing it in joy. But supernaturally, God has orchestrated. It's, it's cool because it's through the Holy Spirit leading other people and through Mary and Joseph just taking the leading of the Holy Spirit in God's word and doing what God requires them to do. They just run into two different folks as they go up to Jerusalem and enter the temple precincts. Now, both of these people, like Mary and Joseph, are are folks with impeccable piety. They represent true Israel. And both are apparently under the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit. And they'll testify to the central place of Christ in God's redemptive plan. Today, we're going to talk about just one of them, Simeon. So let's insert the text here, but let's push forward a little bit. Then Anna comes, but but Anna will come, and, and she is a prophetess, and she says things as well, and then goes like the shepherd and proclaims them. So you've got the shepherds, you've got Mary and Joseph, and you've got these two witnesses, all establishing credibility to a couple that's, though impeccable in their character, devout in their profession of the God of Israel and following him, as we know, when they go back to Nazareth, there's a stain on Jesus' character. There's a stain on the character of Mary and Joseph because, do the math, they get married, she's pregnant before they're married. And there's a rumor that follows from there on out. But Luke, who's writing for a Gentile audience, is establishing the credibility of the virgin birth, a miracle that occurred. So that virgin that we just heard about, the sign, one of the primary signs, has given 
birth. What an amazing series of events. They're all overseen by the hand of God himself. He works through the free acts of a variety of humans, Jewish and pagan. He works through the acts of angels. And he does all this to bring together his foreordained plan at the moment in history that he wanted it to happen. Okay, there's a setting. Now, let's check out our text. If you have it, Luke 2. If you don't, look on with somebody else. Luke 2. 25 through 35, I'm reading the ESV. And if I, you know, from time to time, we need to be reminded, don't we? I do anyway. We are now about to read the Word of God. So let's read it. Not like it is the Word of God. Let's read it because it is the Word of God. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and let's pray. Oh Lord, there are many of us, myself included, that are fuzzy-headed and tired. Lord, as we celebrate your birth, as we do all the things of this season, Lord, we we can find ourselves coming to today tired. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, let us, as we just go about the business of the Lord's day to day, good business, like Mary and Joseph were busy doing, Lord, let us be able to stop and marvel. For Lord, today in your word, through song, Lord, in communion that will follow soon, Lord, as we fellowship with you at your supper, we will see you. We can taste and see that you are good. And Lord, let us, through maybe tired and bleary eyes, let us marvel at you today. Lord, speak to us through your word, we ask. We know you will. Give us ears to hear. Open up our hearts. Lord, stir that, fan that flame in our heart and and, and brighten our eyes so we can obey you, so we can marvel at you. And Lord, so we can know afresh that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Because Lord, that's the reminder we need. In Jesus' name. So God has taken on flesh, and he shows up in his temple. The Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon, causing him to speak words of comfort and joy. We're familiar with that. We've all sung that hymn. But also words of opposition 
and judgment. We don't have a lot of hymns about those. Now, both comfort and joy and opposition and judgment was exactly what God promised in the Old Testament. But it's not exactly how mainstream Israel expected it to be, nor wanted it to be. So let's see what happens. This is what we're going to look at today, briefly. Simeon sees Jesus, 25 through 27, pardon me. I'm used to uh, coffee, not a colada. That'll wake me up. Um, Simeon sees Jesus. Simeon praises God. And Simeon predicts crucifixion. Let's look. Simeon sees Jesus. Look down with me at verse 25 again. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for them according to the custom of the law, pause, Simeon sees Jesus. Luke doesn't tell us much about Simeon. We discover that he's a devout Jew. He's one with a real and personal relationship with God, one who's used by the Holy Spirit. And obviously, if you go into the text of what he actually says, you find that he's well-versed in Scripture because he's able to frame his praise very easily within the context of Isaiah. Chapters 40 through 66, he's drawing from bits and pieces because he is studied, he is waiting, he is active, and he He loves God. Simeon's been told. Can you imagine this? Simeon's been told by the Holy Spirit that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. And because of that, we find Simeon waiting, looking forward to, anticipating the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, consolation here in Luke means the restoration of the true Israel under the reign of God through Isaiah's servant of the Lord. It means God intervening, God himself delivering his people from their enemies and ushering in his rule of peace, very much the same as what Zechariah said to us last week. So Simeon is led by the Spirit. He enters the temple. Now we don't know, it was either the court of the Gentiles or the court of the women. I hope it was the court of the Gentiles. I hope when I get to heaven, my speculation will be right because salvation to all nations would have been proclaimed in the court of the Gentiles. But wherever he is, he's in the temple precincts and he's there and he just happens to supernaturally, God-ordained, God-led, God-orchestrated. Remember, there's a lot of people. It's not like here. Just think as many people as you can think in as large an area, like 10 acres that you can see, that are just packed, filled with people. And it's not everybody you know. People are in from all over Israel. And there they are. And they just happen to run into this nondescript couple. This hasn't been written yet. Nobody knows. It's, it's Mary and John. Nobody knows. It's just a couple walking in with a kid, doing their job according to the law, worshiping God with their heart and mind and finances and soul and strength and obediently doing what God has told them to do. They're worshiping. And as they're walking in to do that, they run into Simeon. And Simeon has been told by the Holy Spirit directly, you're not, you're waiting for the consolation, the salvation of Israel. I've got good news for you, Simeon. Your wait is not in vain. 
guess what, Simeon? Out of everybody, you are going to see the salvation of God. So Simeon's led by the Spirit. He goes into the temple, and who does he meet? Mary, Joseph, and God shows him this little baby is the salvation of God. He sees the very salvation of God. He looks upon the consolation of Israel. He sees Abraham, all the promises made. He looks at better. There's a second Adam. He is aware that more kingly than David, David's greater son. He knows all these scriptures. Oh, Ezekiel and Elijah and all the prophets. No, the prophet of God, greater than Moses is here. A new exodus. The consolation of Israel. The salvation of God is this little baby. Now, can you imagine what was going Simeon is like, okay, I have been waiting. We don't know how long, but it appears he's old and he's devout and he's been praying and he's conversant. And then here it comes. And how many kids does he see as he goes into the temple? And here's the one. And he's not expecting the one. He just sees the one. And Simeon praises God. Let's look at verse 28. So with all this, Simeon took him up in his arms and duh, blessed God. And said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So Simeon supernaturally recognizes who Jesus is. He takes it, you see, sweeping him up into his arms. And he begins with, now dismiss thy servant, Lord. What, what the canticle, what we've been talking about, the different songs, the canticle called the Nunc Dementis. It's the first words in Latin. Simeon praises God for fulfilling what the Spirit told him. He, he, would see the literal consolation of Israel before he dies. Salvation, forgiveness, hope, all in that little baby. Present tense, it's been done. Also, past tense, present past, it's, it's, it's not occurred, but the Bible can speak as if it has already been done because what God decrees, he does. He literally sees the servant of the Lord from Isaiah in his arms, baby Jesus. God has been faithful to the promises in Isaiah. God has been faithful to the word to Simeon. Oh, it's so cool because not only is Simeon this righteous Jew just rejoicing, he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's rejoicing at all that God is going to do for his people and the nations. And he's also grateful for what God has done for him. His vigil, his waiting, his task is complete. This old man is now ready to die. Simeon now moves on to blessing, to prophecy, and he's in the temple. Where, God, where else to see Jesus? Where God meets with Israel. Simeon declares that as God promised Abraham and as, God, and as Isaiah had prophesied, God's salvation would extend to the Gentiles as well, as well. Jesus will save Jews, the true remnant, the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel, 
But Jesus will also save folks like me and most of you, Gentiles too. You see, this baby boy, he says, would be a light. Remember last week, Zechariah promised a light. This baby boy would be a light of revelation for Gentiles. Light, salvation, full inclusion for the Gentiles into God's new humanity will be for those who were there. Remember how Paul talks about in Ephesians? We were once without hope. We were without God. We were sitting in darkness like Zechariah says. We who were far away have now been brought near. This is what salvation, this is the consolation of Israel. Those in darkness will see the sun of the morning, the morning star, the dawn. This little baby will be a light. Zechariah was talking about to the people of Israel. Simeon now extends it to most of us in this room. Because I suspect, except for David, um, all of us are Gentiles. So it's for the Gentiles. He is for the Gentiles. And glory to true Israel. The promises of God have come through the promised one of Israel. You can never think of Jesus without thinking from where and what line he came. It's glory to the people of Israel through whom the promised one came. Oh, how amazing. What what good news. You can get why Mary and Joseph. Again, we're so used to seeing this. They're in the temple. They're doing their job. They're doing it with joy. They're obeying God. They're worshiping. They're just there. This old guy comes. He just like snatches the kid. and, And there he is. And he's saying these incredible things by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they're here. And yet again, Mary's already had angel appear. Not in Luke, but in other places. Joseph's has had a dream. The shepherds have come. Zachariah, all this has happened to them. And they're hearing and they're talking and they're seeing. And now, this man comes, takes the baby Jesus, says yet another version of the same thing. And Mary and Joseph are just standing there. I mean, think, think with your mouth open. You know, just... Here's Simeon. I'm going to die. This is great. And here's Mary and Joseph. Not look at Simeon like, what's up with you, old guy? No, no, no. It's like, Lord, you ever, you ever had God just, how much more? This is great, Lord. And that's what I hope and pray this Christmas is for us as we continue to examine these texts and these songs. Lord, look what you've done. And Lord, look what you've done for me. Simeon was, Lord, look what you've done. But he didn't just stop there. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. So it's no wonder Joseph and Mary marveled, but... It's good news, but it's not all good news. Because in an oblique way, Luke is going to have Simeon give us the first glimpse of the crucifixion. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. 
and a sword will pass through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon blesses Joseph and Mary, but then he addresses Mary specifically. Now, in addressing her, he focuses still on Jesus. These texts are not about Joseph and Mary. These texts are not about Zachariah. These texts are not about John the Baptist. They're all bit players. They're a supporting cast. But Jesus is the star again and again of the show. He's the only one in the spotlight. God's directing the whole play. But it's about Jesus. So even as he's addressing Mary... He's thinking, pointing, and focusing on the little baby in his arms. He's got a prophetic word for Mary, but now he needs to talk a little bit more about Jesus. You see, Mary, Jesus will divide Israel. Remember the consolation of Israel, the salvation of Israel? Oh, by the way, Mary, in doing that, he'll divide Israel. Jesus, this baby, will expose hearts. He's pulling more imagery from Isaiah. Division, exposed hearts. In Luke's gospel, again and again, we find the word rising. It refers to the salvation of the humble and the meek. Those Jews, the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel, who respond. They're true Israel. They're the Israel of God. They're the remnant that God consistently talks about in the Old Testament. They're part of that. And he will have their rising. But others within ethnic Israel, because right now he's just talking about what's going to happen in Jesus' lifetime. But others within ethnic Israel will see Jesus as a sign to be opposed. And likewise in Luke, fall refers to the judgment of the haughty, the judgment of the arrogant. You see, Jesus is the salvation of God. Jesus is the servant of the Lord prophesied in Isaiah. But Jesus is also God made flesh, God incarnate. So if you oppose Jesus, you reveal your true stance to God. He's the stone of stumbling, remember, in Romans that we talked about. And this opposition that he's talking, this division, the downside of this division, this rejection. Remember, in, in their, in, before Jesus was resurrected, even all of Mary's other children, she had more children after Jesus. She was a virgin here, but not afterward. So Joseph's kids, they rejected their brother as well. Now that changed. But they rejected their brother initially too. And it's, it's, it's forecasting that this rejection will eventually result in his crucifixion. So this opposition and rejection that will result in crucifixion will be a serious and significant source of pain for Mary. Don't you see God's grand plan and then he takes the time to speak to people individually. God's grand plan of which we're part of. And then, by the way, Simeon. See? God's grand plan. By the way, Mary, I know you're a mom. You're just flesh and blood. Let me give you a warning. 
See, God cares for everyone. God saves the elect. He's the consolation of Israel. If you, if you put your trust in your faith and you turn towards Christ and you repent of living your own life and you believe in what he's accomplished on Calvary for us, if you trust him, God's, you're part of the children of Israel, the true Israel. You're into the new humanity, different metaphors throughout the New Testament. You are part of all of that. Oh, yes. But guess what? God came for you personally and individually too. Oh, together the church is the temple. I get that of God. But you know what? You too individually, the Holy Spirit resides in. So this Christmas, oh, let's look at all he's done. Let's marvel. Oh, marvel at all he's done. But then also take the time to say, you did that for me. You know those times when your devotional life may stink because you're so busy celebrating the birth of Christ? You know those times when you're singing about um, supernatural joy and peace and you're fighting in the car? You know those times. It's Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Some of us are like, can this be over? And yet we know intuitively there's something wrong with that. Here's the good news. He's come for you. To bring you peace and joy. If you're not following Christ, he's come to invite you to do that and to warn you with dark words of judgment. Here's our takeaway. God is in complete control of the smallest of details. This verse shows us that. God is in complete control. And he's also in complete control of the unexpected tragedies of life. Do you think Mary was wanting to go to a stable? Do you think Joseph was all over coming down from Nazareth, going down to Bethlehem? They don't have a lot of money. And now the emperor has decreed And the Roman governor in Syria, a Syrian, has said this is what Jews must do. There's a rich history about the temple and and, and these players here. And and the, the government has said, and God works through the acts of humanity. Things we agree with, things we don't agree with, God still works. Oh, He's in charge of the day of our death. Simeon's like, I can be released from my assignment. God's in charge of world affairs. The Romans were just the last of a group of nations prophesied in the Old Testament. We have work to do to pray, but we do not have to be afraid that somehow ISIS or resurgence of communism or the blockade or pick whatever is thinking your head, whether or not you have cancer or disease or what about your relatives who aren't saved, what about this? And I just don't even feel like a Christian right now because I fought with my wife the whole way. Okay, good. Repent, good. Next. I'm not being cavalier. Repent, but move on. You're part of this grand plan. And he also came for you. You can trust him with these details. Number two, ordinary obedience matters as much as supernatural stuff. 
I mean, I would have really loved to have been Simeon. Hey, Jim, you're not going to die. That would have been pretty awesome. The last time I checked, Mary and Joseph had a pretty supernatural time as they were just paying $25 to redeem their son because that's what you do because of the law in Exodus. Mary and Joseph probably weren't feeling terribly spiritual when they were buying those two turtle doves to take care of her discharges after birth that needed to be purified 33 days later. No, they were being holy as unto the Lord. And guess what? God used that obedience to make all that happen. Little obedience matters. And then last but not least, and Zeke and ushers, you can start getting ready. Jesus was born to die. And that's what we're about to celebrate. Jesus was born to die. 